if I may draw a parallel with, say, for instance, uh, migration from um, LIBOR to SOFA, people didn't want to do it. It's aggravation. And then eventually the industry said, oh, it's happening. It's flipping at this date and then you've got to go. So from a sort of, you know, just from a change management point of view, getting on board earlier, just let eases the transition. Welcome to Actualizing Success. In this podcast series, our in-house advisors discuss today's finance and technology topics with an emphasis on solutions that embrace tomorrow. Hi, I am Carrie Weckelow, our COO of Actualized Consulting, and today I am joined by Paul Barham and Dean Ebbs from our UK office. Today, our topic is ISO 222 adoption. In this podcast, we will present the key milestones along with the adoption timeline and review some of the major implications of the ISO 222 message formats. We will also take a look at how organizations will be impacted, what you can do to best prepare, and how to realize the benefits associated with ISO 222. Welcome, Paul and Dean. I'm excited to talk with you both today. Hello. Very, very happy to be here. Okay. So, Dean, I'm going to start asking you a few questions. What is ISO 222 adoption and what's the overall timeline? Yeah. So, I think high level ISO 222 is a global standard for exchanging financial information. Um, For users of the SWIFT network, uh, ISO 222 will become mandatory in less than two years now. It's creeping up fast. Uh, Many other banks and financial institutions also are working on their own adoption timelines. The proposed transition is going to require fairly fundamental changes to the way in which most organizations operate. So that's going to be across things like uh, master data management, uh, cash and payment processes, uh, configuration of, of systems, you know, whether that's treasury management or ERPs. Um, and successfully navigating those is going to require careful planning. Um, there's going to be collaboration required across multiple stakeholders um, and probably not what treasuries want to hear, but a potentially significant commitment of time and resources as well. And with that, how do you even know if it applies to your organization? So unlike some other regulations, this almost certainly applies to your organization. Um, It's, as I mentioned, uh, ISO 222 is going to become the global standard for data exchange between financial institutions. Um, I saw something recently that SWIFT estimates that within five years, um, over 80% of high value payments by volume uh, and 90% by value will use the new standards, which is pretty incredible. Yeah, absolutely. So what's driving this change? I think it's been a long time coming. You know, so although increasingly we live in a world that has developed global standards, um, communication protocols for lots of different purposes, uh, that hasn't to date extended to financial transactions. Um, you know, treasuries everywhere will um, you know, have some experience of the significant challenges posed by the lack of standardization for payment messages in particular. Um, and the inefficiencies um, that, that that generally leads to. Um, I think one of the key aims of ISO 222 is to to try and solve that longstanding problem. Yeah, and we see that a lot more doing our treasury management system implementations as well. So will this new standard only apply to payment, payment messages? Uh, no, I, I think payment messages are 
probably the area of greater focus and of, of most interest. Um, but the standard will apply across other types of messages as well. So bank reporting, uh, notification statement messages primarily, uh, all of those as well will shift to the new standard. Okay. And I think some of our listeners may be asking, can I continue to use the existing MT message formats? Um, yeah, the answer is is yes, but, but only for a period of time. Um, so from a SWIFT perspective, um, a, a two-year coexistence period actually began in March of this year, um, during which existing formats can continue to be used alongside uh, the newer ISO 222 formats. Similarly, then major banks and other financial institutions are you know, defining their own adoption timelines uh, and will eventually set migration deadlines. Um, so short term, yes. Uh, Long term, no. Um, you know, migration will be required. So when is that date? I mean, if it were me, I would be getting a little bit nervous that I might not have enough time. Yeah, so the, the key date to keep in mind if your organization is already uh, using the SWIFT network is November 2025. As I mentioned, less than or just over a couple of years ago uh, away now. You know, your organization by that stage will have to have fully migrated to the ISO 222 uh, format. Um, and then alongside that, the, the payment market infrastructures, you know, for the world's major currencies, um, other banks, financial institutions, as I said, are also aiming to fully adopt uh, ISO 222 by this date. There will be some variations there, um, but that is the you know, November 2025. That's the key date to keep in mind. So with this, I'm assuming there's going to be enhanced data. What does that really mean? Yeah, so one of the one important aspect of the new standard is the ability to include uh, richer and more structured data in the statement and payment messages, certainly relative to the existing format. Um, that enhanced data has real potential to deliver you know, significant benefits for corporates and financial institutions. Um, you know, a real upside to the to the migration, you know, as well as the uh, the obligations and deadlines that we've already spoken about. Right. And with any new standard, there's always new abbreviations. So I've seen LEI or POP. What do those stand for? Yeah, so I think LEI is probably the one that's more familiar to our listeners. Uh, it refers to legal entity identifier. Um, it's it's typically a, an alphanumeric code, some of the region of 20 digits that's used globally to identify organizations involved in financial transactions. Um, I think, you know, they really started to become more widely used a number of years ago um, with, with, with some other reporting regulations. Um, POP is, is probably less familiar. So that refers to purpose of payment or purpose of payment code. Um, so that's code that typically included on a payment message um, to indicate the nature of the transaction. You know, so what does the transaction relate to? What category of transaction um, are, we, are, we, are we referring to? Um, and the inclusion of both of these, so LEIs and POPs, will in time become mandatory for the IC222 payment messages. Um, so as I mentioned earlier, again, that's going to have implications for um, both the content of, of the master data, but also the management and upkeep of that. Great. Well, thanks, Dean, for setting us up for exactly what ISO 222 is. Now I'm going to shift over to Paul and talk about some of the more infrastructure-related items. So my first question, Paul, is what team should be involved in this adoption? Is it okay if I just say all teams? 
uh, and being slightly more serious, uh, the point of this, and hopefully Dean's teed this up earlier, is there is a lot more data coming um, as part of this transition. And in a positive way, we need to understand how to use this data um, across all of your kind of corporate systems. So it's your finance teams as well as treasury um, internally. It's understanding how that's going to kind of play in with what your suppliers may need to send you or what you may need to be sending out to your um, customers. Um, it, it's really understanding. I mean, I like to talk about this in, in everything we do, but understanding the data model of what will come through these ISO standards is uh, uh, is going to be important for, for everybody in the organization to understand. Now, what about early adoption? What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, so uh, again, Dean's teed it up nicely. We're in this interim status between where data is available but not mandatory. If I may draw a parallel with, say, for instance, uh, migration from um, LIBOR to SOFA, people didn't want to do it. It's aggravation. And then eventually the industry said, oh, it's happening. It's flipping at this date and then you've got to go. So from a sort of, you know, just from a change management point of view, getting on board earlier, um, just let eases the transition. But actually, if we try and sell the upside of this, there is more data. And if we can get on board of it, then we can start to realize some of the benefits of getting this uh, new data. Dean referred to things like purpose of payment. This is something that's quite new uh, and can be, a, a you know, a pain, frankly, to try and populate. But the upside of that is, you have a lot more clarity now of the type of payments you're making, and that can help you with, say, the way you account for these uh, payments. So there really are some benefits that you know people could get after, start to build this infrastructure out before it then just happens upon them. So how could I actually save um, money on the early adoption? Well, uh, you know, money talks, doesn't it? Um, so <laughs> uh, at its simplest, if you can get ahead of it, then perhaps then, you know, it's money that doesn't have to go into kind of bank projects um, when we will, you know, inevitably have to stop for argument's sake, oh, sorry, for illustration's sake, go from one type of bank statement to uh, to another. So just in an uh, external point of view, reducing those bank project charges. Um, but if we think about it from an internal point of view, if we can um, get some of these pieces on board and, and um, integrate them into our systems, we should be able to drop some of our internal costs um, because maybe now we can straight through process um, payments. We don't have to kind of manually enhance them and touch them in the same way. Maybe we don't have to spend so much time trying to manually uh, reconcile payments. And while that's not an external cost, you know, I, I, we really do genuinely think it will be meaningful, um, you know, to, to streamline uh, what, frankly, a lot of customers have to spend a lot of manual time over. Yeah, anytime you can reduce manual tasks is always a positive thing. So what else can um, our listeners benefit from the migration to ISO 222? Um yeah, so, well, let's just pick out a few high-level points, uh, and maybe, Dean, you can uh, add to uh, to the first couple. So, I mean, better data inherently is better, right? The more data you have, the better decision-making you can make, right? So, if you can have a lot more information on a, on a payment, 
the metaphor that uh, I was given early on in this was in the old days or pre-ISO, we used to send postcards. And in this new uh, world of ISO, think of it as highly structured, detailed um, emails. There's just more data, and that has to inherently be uh, better. Um, it should then, as well as aiding uh, decisions, should also allow us to be uh, more flexible operationally, right? Um, so yeah, I, I like it off the data point. What else do you think, Dean? Yeah, I think one of the key ones um, from, from, from my perspective is that making use of that additional data and information as you as you described, Paul. So you know, many of our listeners will know the pain of trying to reconcile large volumes uh, of, of transactions, um, you know, inconsistencies in terms of uh, reporting and uh, commentary and references that are that are provided today by you know, lots of different banks. Um, you know, one of the benefits of the ISO 222 move is that that should be uh, standardized to a greater degree. So that task of trying to identify what individual transactions relate to, um, if they match to your treasury uh, and ERP system, um, should become, you know, in, in theory, much easier. Um, I, I think another example of the way in which um, the, the structured nature of the data um, becomes useful is in, you know, very hot topic, uh, fraud prevention and, and, and detection. You know, so one example is that the Bank of England plans to uh, mandate inclusion of um, the LEIs, uh, the legal entity identifiers and the, the, the payment purpose codes we discussed earlier on transactions related to property. So, you know, typically those will be uh, quite large value, uh, quite important, uh, potentially fast moving payments. Um, you know, that greater structure, those those requirements should then again make it more difficult for those to be to be to be fraudulent. Um, and, and I think the other the final one I would probably add is you know, coming from, from my background, having you know, previously worked for a, uh, a treasury software vendor, you know, I've seen firsthand um, the complexities uh, that, that can arise when an organization needs to migrate between uh, different connectivity or technology solutions um, and the change in formats that that often, that that often uh, includes. You know, so again, as, as the world moves more towards this uh, global standard, then being able to change technology systems and connectivity systems should again become much easier uh, simply because there's more alignment from a from a messaging format or a standards perspective. Yeah, those are all great benefits. So I guess the next question I would ask, um, what if my treasury team can't support the new standard? Uh, sure. Well, I mean, frankly, uh, that's... That is one of those no is not an option uh, questions, Carrie. So, right. <laughs> um, you know, any, any TMS uh, that wants to be in business in, you know, 2026 needs to, to be part of that. And, and to be bluntly honest, um, they're already um, mostly engaged um, at a sort of build out level. The devil is in the details. So, you know, what we'd say is go contact your TMS, get them to give you their roadmap, find out when the, um, you know, the various product pieces are being deployed. But to give you an example, you know, some of the, the some of these things are there already. Uh, certain banks can produce statements in the new uh, kind of post ISO framework of CAMT 53s rather than say MT 940s. I know you love, uh, um, an acronym, Kerry. So you know, right. some of them are already in place and, and others to, to follow. 
All right. Well, so if I have to do the adoption, what should my migration plan look like? That's a great question. Um, you know, if we are, we are many things at Actualize, and one of those is organized. We like process. We like templates uh, and we like to kind of um, standardize what we're doing. So let's rattle off a few things just to kind of get people thinking. Um, so things started with data. Um, so let's kind of talk about that. Um, we need to think about our, our master data uh, and what data model that exists. It should already have LEIs, but maybe it doesn't. And that if it doesn't already, then it's definitely going to have that. Um, we also talked about purpose of payment codes. So understanding, um, you know, and, and by the way, different countries around the world have different purpose of payment codes. God forbid we'd have a standard dictionary for that. Maybe uh, maybe our children will be talking about that in future episodes of podcasts. But uh, for, the mo for the meantime, we'll need to have country-specific uh, messages. I'll, I'll, maybe I'll stop at that point, Dean. Do you want to add a couple of others? Yeah, sure. So I think we've spent quite a bit of time, you know, rightly so, talking about um, you know what organisations should be thinking about internally. Um, but one of the things that I think is also worth highlighting is that you know, as well as generating this enhanced data yourselves, you're also going to be receiving it. You know, so I think early consultation with with your suppliers uh, to understand how they'll provide that information to you. So you know, we might be talking about changes to information include on invoicing um and how you'll how you'll process and understand that and uh you know include that in your own your own processes um processes probably lead me quite quite nicely into a, a second point i had which is yeah around um adaption of your existing workflows and controls um you know for iso 222 um so you know almost certainly that involves uh changes as we've spoken about already to uh, technology workflows uh, so whether that's the systems you use to um, to generate payment messages, um, to to um, to process uh, bank reporting, uh, but also wider than that, you know. So Paul's touched already on um, you know data management, but not just data management in and of itself. You know, what are the processes behind that? Who's responsible for maintaining that information? What additional things does that person perhaps have to do now, or what things should be included in that process that we didn't we didn't previously? And then I guess if I can beat the previously last beaten drum, then my final point would be plan for when your TMS is going to change and make its uh, you know product sort of uh, enhancements factor that in on a on a practical level. Um, I feel we also wouldn't really be doing ourselves any justice as actualized Kerry if we didn't use the word KPI. Um, so uh, <laughs> updating our KPIs um, would be definitely part of uh, of any kind of migration plan because, frankly, there will be new sets of KPIs available. Yes, the key performance indicators, absolutely. Well, I think we're about at time, but I did want to ask, how can Actualize help our listeners in this um, ISO 222 migration and adoption? <laughs> uh, well, we, I guess the the point of this is to kind of bang the drum of um, knowledge, uh, let people know uh, what's out there. Hopefully, we've given an indication. This is something we're spending a lot of time thinking about. Um, come find us uh, via our website, via LinkedIn, um, and um, we'd love to talk more. 
as Paul said, you know, it's something that we're spending a lot of time, um, you know, understanding, and we're already starting to work with a number of a number of clients uh, in terms of preparing for the change. So, you know, we spend a lot of time talking about um, the, the details of the migration and what's involved. But if you know, you just feel you're in a position where you just need some help getting started, um, you know, understanding specifically what it means for your organization, then you know, for sure, we'd love to have a, a conversation. Yeah. Dean, um, you make me think, we kind of say it in a more structured um, uh, way, then there's probably three things I think that we're starting to see, right? One is readiness assessments. So one thing we can do very practically and, and formally is is conduct a readiness assessment based on the TMS that our client's using, based on the their kind of existing um, profiles. If we do that readiness assessment and we've, you know, we've done one or two, that gets us into roadmaps um, and the migration plan just to sort of tie that back to uh, together. Well, excellent. Well, thank you both so much for your time today. And uh, please let us know if we can help answer any of your questions. Thanks for joining us for today's episode of Actualizing Success. Make sure to visit us online at www.actualizeconsulting.com where you can explore our service offerings. Don't forget to subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or your preferred platform. If you've enjoyed what we talked about today, please consider leaving a review and following us on LinkedIn. If you have any questions or would like to share your opinions with us, please send us a note at podcast at actualizeconsulting.com. We look forward to hearing from you.